morning. Morning, church. It's a joy to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. Just before I start, I wanted to acknowledge uh, both Pastor Chiming and Elder Xing for the tremendous help they gave me in preparing this uh, sermon at short notice. As well as my wife, Shermin, who worked a lot with me on the sermon as well as the slides that you'll see this morning. And of course, God for yes, uh, downloading the sermon. I believe God has something to say to us this morning. Um, will you just pray with me before I begin? Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of worshipping you. We can worship a risen King. A risen King. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to be with us this morning. We pray that your word will be living and active. Penetrate deep into our hearts. Help us to search our hearts before you. Commit this time with your hands. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, words of my mouth, be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this slide is a recap of uh, what we've covered for 1 Corinthians so far, the various chapters. And today we'll be talking about chapter 15, the second last chapter on the topic of resurrection. And throughout the whole book, we have seen that the theme is that our words, our beliefs, and our actions must conform to the gospel. This morning, I will be covering the first half of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 34, and Deacon Raj will be covering the rest next week. And I've entitled my sermon, First Fruits. I'm going to start with a quote. The truest darkness is not the absence of light. It is the conviction that the light will never return. The truest darkness is not the absence of light. It is the conviction that the light will never return. Who knows where this quote is from? Anyone? Oh, okay, only Elder Shing. Because he read my sermon before this. <laughs> uh, it's not from some famous uh, real person. Actually, it's from Lois Lane in Justice League. Uh, I didn't know that before this, but some of you who are more up to date may, may know this. Brothers and sisters, how many of us have ever felt like we are in a hopeless situation where we cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel? Perhaps some of us are struggling with difficulties, challenges that just seem insurmountable, no matter how hard we try. Maybe some of us are struggling with illness that just doesn't seem to go away. Perhaps some of us have lost loved ones recently. Or perhaps some of us in the middle of our daily routines are just wondering, is there all there is to life? Is there more to life than this? Friends, in all these situations, there's one common thing. We are searching for hope. Hope. You see, humans can endure many things. We can endure pain, we can endure suffering, sickness, persecution, even the threat of death. But there's one thing that humans cannot survive very long without, and that is hope. Hope gives us strength to endure anything that comes our way. Take away the hope we have, the belief that one day the light will return, no matter how dark it is. And no matter how strong a person is, he or she will soon wilt away. Without hope, life is dark, despondent, and meaningless. This morning, my sermon will address this issue. What is our hope as Christians? And how does that shape the way we live? What is our hope as Christians? And how does that shape the way we live? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, the context of this chapter can be summarized in verse 12. I'll read it for you. 
Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So from here, we can infer that apparently, there were some people in the Corinthian church who were saying that bodily resurrection after death is just not possible. It doesn't happen. And by extension, that means that Christ could not have been raised from the dead because Christ came in human form. So I'm going to summarize Paul's response and his argument here, right? And it is very long, so I will just focus on a few key verses. Okay? And his argument can be broken up broadly into three parts. So part one, which goes from verses 1 to 11. And I read from verses 3 to 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the Twelve. So Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ was resurrected, and was seen by many eyewitnesses. Now Paul made it very clear that He was seen by many people, to emphasize that it actually happened. It is a historical fact. Okay, so part one. Now part two, verses 12 to 19. And reading from verses 17 to 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, what Paul is saying is that because Christ has been raised we have hope of forgiveness of sins. Because of Christ's resurrection, we have hope beyond this life. Right? So that's part two. And part three, verses 20 to 28. And I read from verses 22 to 24. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So here Paul delivers the punchline, right, the climax of his argument. He says, Not only has Christ been raised, but one day we too will be resurrected when Christ comes again through him. Right. Not only has Christ been raised, one day we too will be resurrected when Christ comes again. And then the glorious end will come, the day we look forward to, when Christ defeats all His enemies and He reigns over all. Right. So to summarize the three points, right? one, Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected and seen by many eyewitnesses. Okay. Point two, because Christ has been raised, we have hope of forgiveness of sins. And point three, one day we will be resurrected too when Christ comes again and He will reign as King over all. Friends, these are very important truths to us. We cannot understate them. Right? These are fundamental to our Christian faith. We need to be fully convinced of them, not just in our heads, but also in our hearts and in our souls. Right? They are the foundation on which we stand upon. I asked at the beginning, 
What is our hope as Christians? The Christian hope is the certainty, the certainty of our resurrection. We have a better future beyond death, and it is eternal. It is not just wishful thinking. It is a certainty because of Christ's resurrection. Our eternal fate is tied to Christ who has been raised. That is our Christian hope. Now, but some of you may be thinking to yourself, we are already quite familiar with this, right? We have heard it many times before. Okay? It is what well, we confessed at our baptism for those of us who have been baptized. We believe in it, right? So does that mean that, okay, sermon over, we'll see you next week, right? Is there more to it than this? There's this saying, don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Paul may have been addressing a very specific issue in the Corinthian church. Right? Some people who thought that resurrection was not possible. But we should not miss the bigger picture he is pointing to. What is this bigger picture? Friends, we are in the middle of a grand cosmic story of what God is doing in this world. We are in the middle of a grand cosmic story of what God is doing in this world. And the key to understanding the story is this word that appears in today's passage, first fruits, first fruits. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This word is like, you know, the secret code word that helps you to crack the mystery. Right? It's the key that helps you to unlock the door to understand this bigger story. Right? So what are first fruits? First fruits are the first agricultural produce of a season, right? especially when given as an offering to God. Right? So the first fruits that come from the ground, right? and we offer it to God. But to understand this fully, we have to understand the Jewish, the Jewish background that Paul came from and he was referring to. And in particular, we need to understand the Israel's festivals. Israel's festivals. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, the Lord prescribes a series of national festivals that Israel has to observe in the Promised Land. Right? And in the interest of time, I will just describe them briefly. Right? So there are six of them. The first is Passover. Okay? Passover, some of us may already be familiar with. Right? Um, on this day, they remember how God delivered Israel from Egypt. And if you remember, in Egypt, the Israelites smeared the blood of a lamb over their doorposts. Right? And that night when the angel of death came, they passed, he passed over the Israelite homes and instead struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. Right? And after that, God delivered Israel from Egypt. Right? So they commemorate this day to remember what God did in delivering them from Egypt. Right? So that's Passover, the first festival of the year. Now after that is the Feast of first fruits, And this happens the first day after the first Sabbath after Passover. Okay? The first day after the first Sabbath, after Passover. And what happens on this day? They present the sheaf of the first barley harvest. Okay, so the first fruits of the barley harvest, they present that to God as an offering to give thanks. Okay, so that's the feast of first fruits. And then there's the feast of weeks. So the feast of weeks comes 50 days after the feast of first fruits. Okay, 50 days after the feast of first fruits. What happens then? They offer the first fruits of the wheat harvest, right? Previously it was barley, here it is wheat. 
right? And they used the wheat, they baked bread, right? Fresh loaves, and they offered it to God, okay? Among other offerings. Piece of wheats. And then there's another three festivals that occur later in the year. This is in the seventh month, right? The first, the Feast of Trumpets. This is a day when trumpets are blown over the land and, and the people rest. And then there's the Day of Atonement, right? Which is basically the holiest day in the year where the priests make atonement for the people and also for the tabernacle, okay, with certain sacrifices. And finally, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, right, or Sukkot, which they still celebrate today. Right? And on this day, they basically built these tents and booths and they stay inside the tents to remember that when God delivered them from Egypt, they stayed in tents in the wilderness. Okay? So the six festivals of Israel. Now here's the amazing part. In a wonderfully mysterious way, when we look at the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament, we find that the, the festivals of Israel actually foreshadow the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in both His first and His second coming. Okay? So first of all, Passover. We know that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us in no uncertain terms, Christ, our Passover lamb. The Last Supper, right, of which we commemorate during Holy Communion, was a Passover meal. And Christ said, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. Christ is our Passover lamb. Right? But then we go to the Feast of first fruits, okay, And this is where it starts to get very interesting. In the Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they record Jesus' resurrection, they all say the exact same thing. Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week. In other words, Christ was resurrected the first day after the first Sabbath, after Passover. Do you see what is happening here? Christ is the first fruits, right? This day corresponds to the feast of first fruits in the Old Testament. And this is why Paul says that Jesus Christ is the first fruits. And what does he actually mean? So if you are a farmer in those days, right, the first fruits is like a deposit. Think of it as a deposit, right? It is a guarantee that more fruits are going to come later on when you see the first fruits. Similarly, Paul is saying that Christ's resurrection is a guarantee and assurance that one day we will be resurrected like him. Christ's resurrection is a guarantee and an assurance that one day we will be resurrected like Him. Okay? Christ is the first fruits. But it doesn't end there. Okay? Next up, the Feast of Weeks. Do you remember what happened in the New Testament 50 days after Jesus' resurrection? What happened? Anybody? Pentecost, that's right, Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, right? And Pentecost actually is just a Greek word for the Feast of Weeks, right? Pentecost means 50th, which is the 50th day, okay? So actually, the Pentecost was referring to the Feast of Weeks. And what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus' disciples. And in Romans 8.23, Paul tells us something very interesting. He says, we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. If you recall, on the Feast of Weeks, they offer the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Right? A few sermons ago, Pastor Chiming reminded us the Holy Spirit is resident in us as Christians. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, to Christ, to the Spirit who dwells in you. So friends, in a sense, our bodies are already dead because of sin. But the Holy Spirit gives us new life. It is like a foretaste of our resurrection life, a foretaste of our resurrection body. And that is why Paul describes it as we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Okay? So the first three festivals point, I mean, they foreshadow Christ's first coming. I don't have time today to talk about the next three, except to briefly say that they foreshadow Jesus' second coming. Okay? Jesus' second coming, right? His return, right? the final judgment, the new creation, when God dwells with humanity. And where are we now today, PPH, right, 2019? Where are we? We are here. Right? We are in the in-between. We are living in the in-between period between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. Right? We look back and we remember what Christ has done in His first coming, His death, His resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we look forward to His return, and so we are part now of this grand cosmic story of what God is doing in this world, right? the history of salvation, the story that is yet to come to its completion. So two important points to remember, if nothing else, from today. Christ's resurrection is the first fruits. It is a guarantee, right? a deposit of our future resurrection. And second, we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, a foretaste of our resurrection body. We can be certain of our future resurrection because our faith is tied to Christ, the first fruits. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, and we know that this is all part of God's cosmic plan from the very beginning to the end. This is our Christian hope. But some of you may still be wondering yeah, this is really nice to know, right? This is really interesting, this is very comforting. But so what? Actually, all I can do is just, just wait, Lord. Right? Just wait. All I can do is just to wait for Christ to come again. Right? In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, our Lord Jesus talks about His return one day. And He says on that, that day, no one knows, not even Himself, only the Father knows. And then in the next chapter, 25, He, said, he tells us a very interesting parable. Right? The parable of the tenants. Uh, sorry, the talents. The parable of the talents. A master goes away on a long journey, right? And he calls his three servants to himself. He entrusts them with a certain number of talents or, or money in those days, right? According to their ability. Now, the first servant immediately goes, takes that money, right? And he invests it. He trades with it, right? He gains an equivalent amount in return. So he has doubled his master's um, money for him. Likewise, the second servant does the same. He takes his money, goes and invests it, and he gets an equivalent amount in return. But the third servant is different, if you recall. He takes his money, he digs a hole in the ground and he buries it, right, so that it will be safe there until his master comes back. Now, there are many things that we can learn from this very interesting parable. But this morning, I just want to focus on one aspect. All three servants knew that the master will return one day. All three servants knew 
that the master will return one day. But they acted differently. Two of them took what the master had given to them and invested it. The third one, just wait low. Just wait low. Right? Just wait till he comes back. Friends, there's an object lesson for us here today. The knowledge of Christ's resurrection and his impending return does not make us passive. It does not make us just wait law. It gives us added responsibility and purpose. Friends, this hope that we have in Christ does not make us passive passengers. It transforms us into purposeful participants. From passive passengers to purposeful participants. We are now purposeful participants in this grand cosmic story of what God is doing in the world. And what is this purpose? We are now God's first fruits to the world. We are now God's first fruits to the world. What do I mean? In James chapter 1, verse 18, James writes, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I want you to imagine that you are a farmer now. Okay, a farmer again. For many months, you look over your fields. There's no fruit, like barren fields. You look and you wait. And you wonder to yourself, will I have food to eat this year? Will my family have food to eat this year? Will the harvest come? And in those days, there were many reasons why crops would not come. Right? And they did fail. And people would starve. So you, you worry. And then you imagine one day you see it. The first fruits appear on the stalks. Right? You can give thanks. You lift your eyes to heaven and you say, thank you God, give thanks. Because I know this year the harvest will come. This year I'm not going to starve. My family is not going to starve. Right? You will have hope. Friends, because we are certain of our resurrection, we can live as people with hope. We can live as people with hope. And when others see us, they will see that hope in our lives. They will see it for themselves. And they will want to know that hope for themselves. And this, I think, is the main takeaway from today's message. We must live as people with hope. Our purpose is to live as people with hope. And we offer hope to a world that is desperately searching for it. Well, what does it mean to live as people with hope? Right. So let's return to 1 Corinthians 15, the last part of it, verses 31 to 34, where Paul gives us some instructions for living. Okay, and let me read it for you. I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up for your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So reflecting on these verses, I would like to suggest three ways in which we can live as people with hope. And they can be summarized in three Ps. 
perspective, pluckiness, and purity. Right? Perspective, pluckiness, and purity. So first, perspective. Friends, we, we need to realize that we live in a world that has no hope beyond death. It is a world that actually is much like Corinth, a world that does not believe in the resurrection of the dead, a world that does not believe in the resurrection of Christ. And so its motto is the same as in verse 32, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In Paul's time, there was this group of people called the Epicureans, right? And this is Epicurus, the founder. And their philosophy in life is basically to derive the greatest amount of pleasure that you can in your lifetime, right? The greatest amount of pleasure you can in your lifetime, right? And that's where we get the term Epicureans. Today, we have a similar philosophy in our world, and it's called hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure or happiness as the highest good and aim of human life. And actually, that's perfectly understandable. Right? Because if this life is all that we have, then we might as well enjoy it as much as we can. Right? If there's nothing beyond death, then we might as well have a good time while we're still alive. Let's just enjoy life. Right? YOLO. You only live once. Right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Let me ask a question. How many of us are being hedonists in our own life? How many of us are spending our time and our lives just chasing pleasure and happiness? In John Piper's book called Don't Waste Your Life, he writes these words. I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from the February 1998 Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when, she, when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, they play softball, and they collect shells, seashells. Picture them before Christ on the Day of Judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. And I'll be the first to confess to you, right? There was, there was a time in my life, right, where I literally lived to eat. I lived to eat. How many of you know what is a Makan Sutra? Do you remember what is a Makan Sutra? Right? There's a this little book, um, I don't know if they still have it today, but it's a little book that um, tells you all the best hawker food in Singapore. Right? And then there's the rating, you know, the chopsticks, six chopsticks. So I had a Makan Sutra in my car, right, in the front compartment. And during my lunch times, during my free time, I would flip through the book, right? And I would bookmark and say, I want to eat this, I want to eat this, I want to eat this, you know? And I would drive far and wide, you know, to the four corners of Singapore just to eat nice food, okay? I think when my wife met me at that time, she probably thought I was crazy. Right? Um, and there was a time that also I, I really loved to travel, right? And that brought me a lot of pleasure. You know, a lot of my time was spent, you know, dreaming about my next destination and planning for the next uh, holiday. And I think that's still quite common, Right? When you get together with people, with friends, a lot of time they're talking about, oh, what's the latest nice food that they've eaten, the latest nice restaurant they've been to, the latest holiday, which exotic vacation they've been to. You know, if I was an alien from Mars and I just took a peek on Facebook or Instagram, right, I would probably think that on Earth, the only thing that matters is food or holidays, right, because that's what most people are posting about most of the time. Correct? And that brings me to Paul's next comment. 
Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. What does he mean? I don't think that Paul means that we should not mix with you know, non-believers or people who think differently from us. Right? Because we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. But I think we need to be very, very careful about who we allow to influence our worldviews and values. We need to be very careful about who we allow to influence our worldview and our values. And in this day of social media, we need to be especially careful. Right? Because social media bombards us day and night, night and day, non-stop, 24 hours. And humans are social animals. Right? We are social animals. We tend to follow the crowd. And when everyone around you is just talking and posting about pleasure, it is very easy to just get caught up and go along. You know, Paul uses a very interesting term in verse 34, right? Drunken stupor. Drunken stupor. Who here has been drunk before? Okay, I was sorry. No. Don't, don't put up your hand. I don't want to know. Right? Um, what happens when you drink alcohol? Okay. At first, it feels really good, right? You feel a bit happy, your brain starts to relax, your body loosens up, right? Um, but what happens when you drink more and more, and you drink too much? Your brain starts to slow, right? It starts to get numb. You start to say things that you don't mean, right? You do things that you don't understand, right? Friends, it's just like that with pleasure as well. When we first have pleasure, it feels really good, right? We enjoy it. But as you indulge more of it, you start to get numb. Right? You need more and more of it, and yet you enjoy it less and less. And after a while, you will enter into what Elder Shing calls a numbed existence, using pleasure and self-indulgence to numb a purposeless life. Let me say that again. A numbed existence, using pleasure and self-indulgence to numb a purposeless life. On the surface, a person can have every pleasure that the world can buy, that the money can buy in this world. But deep inside, he is empty, he is numb, he is lost. Well, my friends, in contrast, we live with perspective. We live with a different perspective, an eternal one. We know that there is life beyond death. We know that there is more to life than this one. And therefore, in our daily decisions, in our actions, in our priorities, in our values, we show the world that there is more to life than just temporal pleasures. We show that there is more to life than just eating, drinking, and being merry. We ask how can we live our lives in a way that gives glory to God rather than just pleasing ourselves. And living with this perspective gives us a joy that pleasure can never bring. It is a true and lasting joy. And when we face difficulties, challenges, even death, we can rejoice because we know it is only a temporary affliction in the light of eternity. And we look forward to the day when Christ comes again and we will be gloriously resurrected with Him. Right? So first perspective. Now second, pluckiness. Now for those of you who may not be familiar with this word, um, actually it's just bravery. It's just another word for bravery. And I confess, I chose this word be partly because I was really struggling to find a word that starts with P, right? That means the same thing as bravery, and I could not. But actually, I also like this word a lot, pluckiness, because it conveys a certain sense of audacity. There's a sense of audacity there that we dare to take risks for God, right? Paul says in verse 31, I die every day. Of course, he doesn't mean that he literally dies every day. 
But what he means is that he goes out every day wondering if that day is going to be his last. But still he is willing to take risks, even risk his own life for the sake of the gospel. He said, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. You know, these are the words of a man who can stare death straight in the eye and keep going every single day. How? Why? Because Christ's resurrection gives him hope. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Are we willing to take risks to be like Paul? To take risks for the sake of the gospel? You know, some of you may have heard the story of how God called my wife and I to leave our jobs and prepare to serve Him in Nepal. And many people have told us, you all are very brave, you are very bold. But actually, when God first called us, to be very honest, we were both terrified. We were terrified. We had no idea what to expect. But now I can stand here and tell you with all my heart that it is such a joy, such a privilege, such an honour to follow God and to serve Him and to be part of His purposes. Such a joy. We are so excited to see what God is going to do in our lives. And already we have seen so many amazing things that God has done. It is beyond anything that we could have ever imagined or expected. And we also know that if anything should ever happen to us, right, we can be bold. We do not need to be afraid. Right? Because our Lord Jesus is risen. Our Lord Jesus is risen and He is reigning on high. And He is sovereign over our lives. Right? And we are fully assured that there is life beyond the grave. Right? Life far more wonderful than you can ever comprehend. So, perspective, pluckiness. And the third P is purity. So Paul ends this section by saying, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. So what sins is he referring to? Actually, we already know the answer. Right? Because actually the whole of 1 Corinthians has been telling us right, sins like pride, conceit, divisions in the church, sexual immorality, idolatry, gluttony, etc. Right? We've studied it over the past few months. Our beliefs and actions must be conformed to the gospel of Christ. But you know, friends, God, God knows that we all struggle with holiness and purity. We all struggle, right? And we stumble and we fall. God knows that we so often fall short. But the good news is this. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And because we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, our lives can then demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. I read to you from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Everything that we have studied in the past few months. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
if we keep in step with the Holy Spirit within us, He will transform us from glory to glory. He will transform us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. This is the hope that keeps us going, that keeps us pursuing purity and holiness until the day that we see Him again. So you see, friends, actually 1 Corinthians 15 is not just a footnote. It is not just an intellectual argument about resurrection. It is actually the climax of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. It is the foundation of who we are as Christians and how we are to live. So to summarize, right, we can be certain of our future resurrection because our faith is tied to Christ. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit and we know this is all part of God's cosmic plan from the beginning. This is our Christian hope. And we can move from being passive passengers to purposeful participants living with perspective, pluckiness, and purity. And in this way, we are God's first fruits to the world by living with hope. Living with hope. In closing, I would like to share with you a real-life story of a man, a young man called Andrew Hui, who just passed away last week. Because I believe it really captures for us what it means to live with hope. This is Andrew. Now, Andrew was a talented young man who served in church as a worship leader and had a very promising career at a bank. He joined the bank because it was financially quite lucrative. And at that time, he didn't particularly enjoy the work, but he valued money above fulfillment because he loved to travel, to experience different cultures and different types of food. And he worked very long hours, right, 12 hours a day, just to climb the corporate ladder. But last year, at the age of 31, disaster struck. He was diagnosed with early-stage cancer that was supposed to be curable. He placed his hope in chemotherapy, but that failed, and the cancer progressed very rapidly. Now, Andrew struggled with God. Right? He was angry, he was disappointed. He asked God, is this how you treat your servants? He had terrible side effects from the chemotherapy. He had nausea, he had lethargy, he had hair loss. He was too ill to even leave his bed. But through it all, God came through for Andrew. He experienced a profound sense of peace and acceptance of death in reflecting on God's deep love. And in an interview shortly before his death, he said this, and I quote, I have zero fear of death now. When I close my eyes for the last time, I am more certain about being with him than I can have in boarding a plane and being assured of reaching my destination. He spoke of a stingless death, a stingless death. Wow. Before his death, his overwhelming desire was to share the gospel with his loved ones. And he said, I want to share this peace that I have with them so that when they come to the end of their lives, which can happen anytime, they will know of a peace that money or toil or relationships or health or wealth cannot bring. Andrew returned home to the Lord on 31st of August this year, just one week ago. In his final moments, he was heard proclaiming, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Two weeks before he died, he wrote a Facebook post. And I want us to listen to his words to us. Though my armour is battle-worn and broken, my peace remains. 
As sure as the sun rises on the dawn, my destination awaits me. Death is but a gateway to my eternal home, where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no tears, and always, always peace. I will be waiting for all of you with a wider smile to hear all your stories and adventures in life. Live the life I could not have, and may our days be filled with joy, peace, and an eternal hope that transcends even death. Live the life I could not have, and may our days be filled with joy, peace, and an eternal hope that transcends even death. My friends, this is what Christ's resurrection life looks like. This is what it means to be God's first fruit to the world, living as people with hope. Can I invite the music leadership team to come? And can I invite all of us to just quieten our hearts and close our eyes? Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and search our hearts. Now, I believe God wants us to search our hearts this morning. And I would like to leave some time for us to just respond to Him in whatever way that He may be calling us to. Friends, are we living as people with hope? Are we being purposeful participants in the story that God is doing? Or are we just being passive passengers? Are we living with an eternal perspective? Are we constantly seeking to bring glory to our Or is our aim in life no different from everyone else? To chase pleasure, to eat, drink, and be merry. Are we living in drunken stupor? Perhaps God is prompting some of us this morning to let Him change our perspective. To remember that there is more to life than just temporal pleasures. That we are called to live in the light of eternity. Do we dare to take risks for God? To fulfill His purposes for our life? Or are we just playing it safe? Perhaps God is calling us this morning to take a small step of faith, however small, to take some risk for Him, trusting that He is sovereign over our lives. Are we still living in sin? Are our lives and our actions conformed to the gospel? Friends, the good news is that when we come to Him in repentance, with a broken and a contrite spirit, He is faithful to forgive our sins. Let us confess our sins to Him. Allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to fill us and transform us more and more into Christ-likeness, that we may reflect His image to the world as His holy people. Just sing this response song. Yeah, I Where would I run? The 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ is risen. 
He is risen indeed. We thank you for this glorious hope that we have in you, Lord. That one day, Lord Jesus, you are coming again. You are coming again to reign over your creation as King over all. And one day we will be resurrected with you and we will reign with you. What a glorious hope that is. What a glorious hope we have, Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, help us not to be passive, Lord. Help us to live in light of that hope we have. Help us to be your first fruits to this world that is searching for hope. To live as people with hope, Lord. Lord, we have prayed to you this morning. Lord, you hear the cry of our hearts. You hear the responses. Lord, you hear us and work in our lives, Lord. Work in our lives, Lord. Let our lives bear the fruit of the resurrection life, Lord. Let us be your first fruits to the world. And I commit all of us in your hands this morning as we go forth from this place. Lord, when we experience more and more of your resurrection power in our life, your Holy Spirit within us that helps us to live boldly with purpose, with purity, with perspective, Lord. We commit ourselves in your hands, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Service is over. See you next week.